you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Move the Sticks. For today's podcast, we have a special football-baseball crossover focused on team building. You know him as the lead draft analyst on NFL Network. He's also a color commentator for the Los Angeles Chargers. He's scouted for the Ravens, Browns, and Eagles. It's Daniel Jeremiah. He played five years in the NFL as a cornerback and return man, scouted for the Seahawks and Panthers, and was a legend for the Tar Heels. It's Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the Sticks as we continue on our special crossover edition of the Move the Sticks podcast. How you doing, Bucky? Man, I'm great, DJ. Look, part one of this project was outstanding. Uh, having on general managers to talk about what they look for in players and building teams. But part two is even better. Yeah, this is uh, something I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Uh, this is a conversation uh, unlike the first one, which was all just with, with general managers and people have filled that position, this one is with former players, current coaches, uh, and some other media members that really understand the game of baseball and, and some carryover there to how it helps us in the evaluation process as football evaluators and team builders. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. And the first guest to start us off is Mark DeRosa. Uh, former baseball player. You remember him as a utility player, played both in the infield and the outfield. The Braves, the Rangers, the Cubs, the Indians, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Nationals, the Blue Jays. A fantastic background as a player. He's one of the best analysts on television as well. You'll see him on MLB Network, but also has a football background. He played football from 93 to 95 at Penn. So uh, he understands the importance of the crossover there with the sports. And here's our conversation with Mark DeRosa. All right, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time for us today. For I mean, me. I'll start out with the easy question. How are you a Cowboys fan? <laughs> you know, easy answer. I actually grew up, I could draw my blinds and see MetLife, Giant Stadium. When and I yet you're a Cowboy fan. And my dad, my old man, was a huge Giant fan. I shared a room with a brother who was six years older, and he was like, he always wanted to stick it to my dad and be different. And he was a Cowboy fan, and we had the star in the room, and that's what I grew up. And I, I, I really didn't have a choice. And kind of, to be honest with you, the Cowboys, it was a tough existence early growing up because they, they struggled for a while. Went through a 1-15, in 15, but we beat the Redskins. All this, <laughs> And then we got hot. And yeah. right around 16, 17 years old, they were winning Super Bowls hand over fist. Well, I've, I've got to be honest here. I grew up a Cowboy fan there you in go. San Diego, California. <laughs> I had a Danny White Huffy jersey. Yep. Remember, like, a little Huffy jersey, a little <laughs> Huffy helmet? So I was a huge – but then I, I spent a couple years working for the Philadelphia Eagles, and they beat that out of me. So You're I, an Eagles guy? So I worked for the Ravens, the Eagles, and the Browns in the scouting department. So once, once I got to Philadelphia, if there was a little, little tiny spot of cowboy left in me, they, they kicked it out they of me. They kicked it out? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I'm okay with the Giants. It's funny. I have respect for the Giants because of where I grew up. Just a, a just a pure hatred for the Eagles and Redskins. So, <laughs> I want to talk about you as a player, and I want to get with you going forward here. But right. just as somebody that that brought so much energy and passion to the profession for as long as you did, 
what I, I'm always curious when we're scouting guys on the football side. Andy yeah. Reid used to always talk about everybody either brings energy to your team or they suck energy from your team. Over 162 game schedule, how important is that? Yeah, I think it's big. I think for me, football. Growing up playing football was the ultimate team sport, and I. I felt like I had to try and bring that to baseball. My, my dad used to tell me all the time, baseball's nine guys out on the field. They're all trying to do individual things that, that make up a team. And, and I truly believe that. But if you're going to be around somebody for six, seven months, mm-hmm. you better create chemistry in that clubhouse. And you better look to the guy next to you, know what to expect from him, him to be able to trust you. I just think creating that culture and that working environment no ego. I never, I, that was another big thing for me. I was always very secure in who I was. I was never the lead dog on any team I ever played for, but I, I never envied or, or was jealous of a player or contract or what they were doing that I wasn't doing. I always wanted what was best for the guys on my team. When you look at a manager now, um, the leadership that yeah. you, that, that's required of that position has, has, has what makes a successful manager changed from when you first started to what you need to be a successful manager today? You know what? I, I don't think so. I, the, the whole industry seems to think so. They have more communication. I, I came up playing for Bobby Cox. He was the ultimate communicator. I mean, he told me some of the greatest things I ever heard in my life, and he told me things flat to my face that I did not want to hear. But I said I got, in, I got my car every night the first six years of my career with the Braves driving home, never wondering where I stood. Mm-hmm. His door was always open. So that's kind of just how I, I grew up. Brutal truth. Mm-hmm. It'll set you free. <laughs> and I tried to uh, tried to do that with my teammates. I, try, I tried to be honest. And I always was an honest, I felt like an honest evaluator of myself. But the difference in the makeup of, of players now, though, versus yeah. the, which was back then, when you think about whether they can handle that type of truth, whether they can handle somebody being in their face with that type of honesty. I don't want them on my team if they can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, kind of the way I, go, I, I went about it. Um, I wanted to take it right up to the end to where I, you knew it was coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. My brother used to tell me all the time, he's like, you have this weird ability to tell people things without getting punched in the face. <laughs> 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 I've kind of rolled with it yeah, ever since. That's a great talent. That <laughs> beats the alternative. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just, that's that's how I, I felt about it. Um, I think if you're honest and uh, people know it's coming from a good place and, and, and you're around each other so much, I, 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 think, uh, I think it wins out at the end of the day. One of the things we've talked to a bunch of folks on the college football side, the NFL side, and then join this conversation today, uh, multi-sport thing, yeah. uh, which you did quite well as quarterback there at Penn. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of people really starting to specialize at a young age now, more so than ever. What do you lose when, when you get guys that aren't playing multiple sports? I think you lose athleticism. I think when you specialize, there was so much that helped me just playing hoops up until high school. Um, that really translated over to the baseball field, just making certain moves and cuts and whatever whatever had to happen. I think for me, though, football was my be-all, end-all just because it was the ultimate team sport. You had to rely on the 10 other guys to do their assignments and do their jobs for a play to be successful. And I always felt like being a quarterback and, and commanding a huddle and, and, and trying to lead guys, I always felt like that, that helped me create that kind of team chemistry feel on a baseball field. I don't think necessarily 
you know, fielding a ground ball or, or stealing a bag helped me slide better. Or I remember Michael Vick going to coming yeah. down to the Braves to try and learn how Didn't to slide. Didn't know how to slide. This is amazing. To I me. remember all that. Like I don't that. think I don't. I never thought anything like that. I, the mindset of the football player is just so much more powerful than the mindset of the other sports. <laughs> I hate to say it. I hate to say it. At least with, with the ones I played. Buck, you can tell, big Cowboy fan, uh, D-Row, big Cowboy fan, and our, and our buddy Chris Rose, who we're going to hear from a little later on in the show, has is, is always spoken so highly uh, about DeRosa, and it was, uh, it was all accurate. It was great to, great to visit with him. Yeah, outstanding visit. And I think the thing that really stood out to me, you talked about creating chemistry and bringing energy. Uh, it's a marathon. We talked about how long the baseball season is. You have to have a couple of energy guys on your team to sustain your level of success over a marathon. All right, well, from one very good utility player to a Hall of Famer, uh, John Smoltz, one of the premier pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball. We saw him do it as a starter. We saw him later in his career transition and have tremendous success out of the bullpen. Uh, he's a World Series champion in 1995. He's a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, his, his accolades, I could go on and on and on about all he accomplished in the sport. But we had a chance to visit with him uh, about the importance of multi-sport play as well as the competitiveness you develop as an athlete. So here's our chat with Hall of Famer John Smoltz. We obviously followed your career, even as football guys, we follow your career all the way through. But it was it was something that you said at your Hall of Fame induction uh, that really stood out to us because you, you preached a message we've been preaching for a long time and evaluating these players as they come through our process. And that is get away from some of the specialization that's out there. Let these kids play multiple sports and develop as athletes. And you told the story about how that was uh, very key in your overall development. Uh, basketball, to me, had the uniqueness of I, I loved playing a point guard. I grew up watching Magic Johnson and, and my city in Lansing. and I loved facilitating and making others around me better. Um, but it was a sport I could work on you know, by myself, um, necessarily you know, shooting in the backyard. When it came to playing football, although back then, you know, flag football was all we could play up until the age of maybe seventh grade. It was crazy how it's changed. But being a quarterback and, and, and surveying the field and, and running the offense and all the different things, even at that level, was intriguing to me. And then when I got to being on the mound, it was basically me and the hitter and the catcher. You know, I determined a lot of what would go on after I released the ball and trying to figure out ways to become a better pitcher all with the other sports allowed me to think mentally along with the game and physically adapt to the game and you know my body as a young player um, was a benefactor from all of those things because I didn't consume a one-sided sport if I had pitched and played baseball year-round there's no doubt I would not have had the career I had there's no chance I make it to the Hall of Fame when you're preparing to get ready to start what is your mentality like gearing up for a start because it sounds like the same mentality and approach that a quarterback would take to get ready to play a game on Sunday. For me personally, when I was preparing for a game, especially a huge game, a postseason game, a game seven, I was relaxed. I slept the night before. I didn't overthink the game. I didn't think the game through before I actually did it. I was prepared in my information intel up until that point. I didn't go overkill with anything. And then when the game was actually day, the day of the game, I was at my best place with energy and reserve to make the best decisions I had to make. I consider, a, a, as a quarterback, much like a pitcher, back in our day, we had to make 130 good decisions. That was 130 pitches if you're going to have a good game. And to make those decisions come along with commitment. 
and you got to be committed. Making decisions is one thing, but being committed is is crucial. Have you got a chance to, to watch the documentary uh, on the Bulls, John? I'd love to know just your takeaway after watching that dynasty on television <clears throat> after having uh, been a part of a dynasty in baseball. I have. I watched it. Uh, it was outstanding. Uh, I've got a chance to play with Michael Jordan in golf quite a bit, along with Tiger Woods, two of the most competitive, most fierce athletes in the in the history of, of sports. And I understood real quickly what makes them tick. It's an inner desire to be the best and know they're going to make the shot or hit the shot. And if they don't, they're going to get right back on the saddle again and go do it again. I, I think that dominance shows of what, what Michael went through when you're trying to become a champion you know, similar to what we went through, uh, we were terrible. Then we had to learn how to win. Then we had to bring guys in that taught us how to win. Then we had to finally clinch, you know, clinch something, win something. And, you know, we thought we were going to run off four or five ourselves. But what Michael and the Bulls were able to do, it just transforms uh, sports in a way where I don't know that we'll ever see another guy like him. Um, sometimes, you know, as a leader, you're going to uh, bear a lot of uh, – opinions about yourself even though they may not be flattering but if you got a chance to lead your team and make everybody around you better that is ultimately the goal of a, of a true competitor that wants to win championships we talk about cross sports you had a chance to play with our teammate here at nfl network and Deion sanders do you have a a good primetime story for us john i have so many it was one of the greatest times <laughs> of my life to play with Dion. Uh, he and i went at it in every aspect of competition so when Dion said, I'm going to give you guys, Steve Avery, myself, and one other, a 20-yard head start and a 60-yard dash and guarantee you I'm going to beat you, I'm like, yeah, bring it. There's no <laughs> chance that's going to happen. <laughs> and he did. I wish our time together could have been longer. But I say this about Dion in all sincerity. If he put away football because he mastered it from a defensive end, a defensive back standpoint, he would have mastered leadoff hitter. He would have been what Ricky Henderson was in our sport today, the greatest leadoff hitter. I'm convinced of it. If that's all he decided to do, he could have did it. And uh, it, it was a blast playing with Dion for those short times there in Atlanta. Well, Buck, I would have liked to have seen him. I would have liked to have seen him as a, as a quarterback, get a, get a chance to uh, to pursue that dream. But not a surprise, right? Pitchers, throwers, you know, it translates to him being a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, I think the approach is, is, is very, very similar in terms of the way that you go about it down by down. You really hold the team's fortunes in your hands each and every play. So you have to be a great decision maker. I think he, very, he conveyed that point very, very clearly. Yeah, I love the, the, the stories about Dion uh, being around our guy, Dion Sanders. Phenomenal stuff there from John Smoltz. All right, next up, we have Rays hitting coach, the Tampa Bay Rays, Chad Matola. Uh, he is a former outfielder in Major League Baseball, played for the Reds, the Jays, the Marlins, the Orioles, and the Blue Jays. He's been the hitting coach of the Rays since 2016. Now, this is one of the best uh, organizations in terms of talent they've been putting out in Tampa. With, with the payroll restrictions they have in that division with the Yankees and the Red Sox, they still find a way to be competitive. They've done a phenomenal job of developing and training these guys. And I thought Chad would be someone great to talk to about this as somebody who's worked his way up through the system as a coach, but also has a football background. Before we get into kind of the, the personnel and developing and growing players in baseball, I'd love for everybody to just kind of hear your background in, in the other sport that we cover here in football. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation for me crossing over sports. I uh, talked to our media personnel and said, why don't you do this? I said, sure. I've always had passion for football. Growing up in South Florida, going to St. Thomas, kind of a high school football factory. Uh, got hurt my senior year, played baseball my whole life, ended up getting drafted in baseball. So decided probably the wise move is stick to baseball and give up football, but not 
not as far as the fan standpoint, and uh, didn't sign, went to UCF, got drafted in the first round, fifth pick, and ended up signing with the Reds, played 16 years. Jeez. Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey, to say the least. All right, when you look at what you learned in football and growing up in the kind of the um, the discipline or the toughness that was instilled in you on, on that in that sport, how does that help you have the long career you had in, in baseball? For sure, that carryover of accountability, the kind of way to have a team concept, mm-hmm. it doesn't really apply as much in baseball. Yeah. It's an individual sport, but football, you have assignments on each play certain things you have to do that the team needs that other guys may get hurt or you lose games if you don't do your individual job that you get no acc- accolades for. One of the things you do is spend, obviously, working with hitters um, and working on a swing. I, I would uh, correlate that a little bit to us, evaluating quarterbacks and kind of a throwing motion and mechanically getting sound. We, I've heard quarterback coaches tell me, I don't tinker with motions too much. If you watch a guy pick up a rock and throw it into the river, that's how he throws, that's what he does. From a hitting standpoint, how much can you really tinker and change with somebody and still get results? I mean, in the last five years, hitting's come such a long way uh, that the movement patterns we're discovering that certain guys can do, it's getting a lot more technical. Uh, probably 15 years ago when I first began in the video side of hitting that you know has evolved so much more, we kind of stuck to the guy's strengths. But now we're discovering certain ways to strengthen certain body parts, certain things that may work for them that they are short in so it's coming a long way in the last two years i've done you know advanced scouting reports on the football side of things team we're getting ready to play and and you put that together and give it to the coaches it was about six pages you know and and that seemed like a lot to us at the time the amount of information that you have going into a series where you're getting ready to play how do you balance between giving guys you know the information that they want with not overloading them? It's reactionary to be a hitter, for sure. So pitching is a little easier to have that book of going and what the guy's weaknesses are. But uh, there's certain levels of people's approach to the game. Somebody wants all the information on the world. There's the spin right now that has carry. They want to know the certain degrees, the ratio of spin. Some guys want to know just as a fastball curveball. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of you indiv- individualize that approach in a scattering report. We have a very... 15-minute vague conversation of every pitcher before the series and then as that day starts with their routines we'll talk about maybe his strength what he's going to do to you with guys on nobody on leading off an inning certain things so everybody's got their own individual approach as the day goes on for sure when we go through the scouting process when i was with the ravens we talked about sti which was speed toughness instincts so we find players that were high in those three areas that's what we were trying to, to find and if you were deficient they're kind of non-starters. Those are the three traits we wanted. Not even just a hitter, but as a baseball player. If you had to just say maybe these two or three things, this is what the great baseball players have in common. What, what are they? Uh, Putting you on the spot Consistency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, baseball is a sport of consistency. Mm-hmm. The things we do well identifying pitching as the Rays, uh, we're going after speed off bat guys, certain things. This, these are all new stats mm-hmm. in the analytical side yeah. that have taught me a lot in the last three, four years. Um, Did you push back against that at all, or did you just accept it? I think I came in from the Blue Jays pretty naive to all these things and didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit, had pushback, and then they explained them much better to me, let me under the hood a lot more, and it made a lot more sense, the decision-making, the things that you can improve on. So it's just another tool. It's not, at the beginning, it's a little bit intimidating, but the more you discover, it's nothing that crazy. It all makes sense. It's all stuff that they're performing on. It's just a better way of get more information out of it difference between successful players a lot of times we'll see guys that that 
face adversity for the first time at the professional level, and they don't know how to handle it. Like Ryan, Re- Ryan Leaf was kind of the poster boy for that. He would had you know brilliant college career. The first time adversity came as a, as a pro, and he would tell you this. He didn't know how to handle it, didn't react to it well, and he'll go down as a bust in draft history. Baseball was so much failure in that sport. How do you get how do you get these guys not to dwell on that and to move on? I mean, the big side of my job is mental. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit it. They'll be the first to admit it. It's a game of failure. They always say three out of ten is a Hall of Fame. And so that's seven out of ten that you're walking back to the dugout going, you know, what I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And then you, all of a sudden you go 30 at-bats doing a lot right and you don't have a hit. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that you just accept when you sign up for the sport. But it's you need the reminder. You need the encouragement. You need to be humbled. But you also need to have that balance as a coach of who you're going to beat down that day or who you're going to pick up. And it's it's entertaining for me because I'll never forget how hard this game is. Yeah. I mean, it, especially now that they're all throwing 100 with 92-mile-per-hour sliders. I swung at a lot of those, and I'll never forget that. Yeah. Does anybody ever get – I'm always curious because in baseball, a guy can make the dumbest base running error, right? Comes back into the dugout. You'll, I would never see it where he's going to get yelled at. Whereas in football, you jump off sides on fourth and one as a defensive lineman. We're pulling you off. They're in your ear just screaming at him. Obviously, the stadium environment is a little bit different. I'm just curious, behind closed doors, are there ever those moments where you got to get into somebody? I don't know if get into them, but it's one of those that uh, Kevin Cash, our manager, gets mad at me because I'm like, hey, it's just a teachable moment. You know, it's no big deal. We're, <laughs> we haven't had a guy at second base for two days, and he gets picked <laughs> off on an inside move, and we're all staring at each other going with our skin's crawling. But the guy knows he messed up. Yeah. So it's one of those things that maybe after the game we visit him, kind of see, hey, what were you thinking? Help yes. me out. Just maybe just let me sleep a little better that I, I can help you figure out why you just spaced out. But that's yeah. when it's 162 games and all this happens, you're going to make mental mistakes. We just want to minimize them and then put them in a comfortable position where if we do things aggressively, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So we, as Rays, as the organization, encourage failure to find out your limitations. So it's a little bit easier in baseball, for sure, with that many games. In football, I always give them a hard time. Like, why are you guys upset? It's just one loss. And they're like, well, that's like. You got to wait a week to go back out there, And it's, you know, uh, almost 10% of your season. (laughs) And if you lose two weeks in a row, you know, you, you may have a little bit of. People are getting problem. fired. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot easier to lose two games in a row in baseball and kind of let it roll off your shoulders and, and realize maybe you face two bad, two tough pitchers in a row or you're on the road for all these that's making up at home. Where in football, it's not that case. I love it. Uh, last question for you. I'm just curious, the best athlete on a baseball field that you've ever played Ooh. with against or watched anything, just the best athlete. Who was it? I'll tell you what. I, my players will hate me saying this, but it's pretty tough to look at the Yankees right now in the other dugout with Stanton and Judge. <laughs> and, I mean, they're pretty impressive yeah. human beings, let alone baseball players. But I, I'd Could like to see them. be a tight end, you think? I, I, I think he might be able to go a, to a couple spots on the football field. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating, especially when you guys get on first or playing first base and we have a guy 6'4", 240, and the guy's getting dwarfed by Judge. And But we hang with him, so we're all right. You know, Bucky, one of the things that stood out to me from that conversation, he talked about the failure in in baseball and being able to deal with that and having the right mentality to overcome uh, the failure. And I I think about the evaluation of football players and so many times guys that bust, it's because they didn't have adversity through their career. They didn't have in high school. They didn't have in college. They're presented with that adversity at, at the professional level. Think of Ryan Leaf. 
They didn't know how to handle it. So baseball is a sport of failure. I think finding guys that have a, a, a deep background in baseball, I think that can help you a little bit as you go into football and deal with some of the hardships. Yeah, I mean, you talk about hitting 300 is success. So that means seven out of 10 times you were unsuccessful. How do you kind of keep your mind into it? How are you able to bounce back? Uh, I think we've heard so many football coaches and psychologists talk about grit. Baseball is one where you have to have grit. You have to have perseverance to be able to survive. All right. This is uh, this is the highlight of the episode to me because it's a guy that I know we both admired growing up in the era we grew up in. Is there a better nickname, by the way, than Donnie Baseball? I mean, is there is it it's as good as it gets? Although Johnny Football did not work out. Johnny Football did not work out for us at the NFL level with Manziel. But but Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly, yeah, it, it did work out. Six-time All-Star. He was an AL MVP, nine-time Gold Glove Award winner, three-time Silver Slugger. A batting champion, I mean, on and on and on. He was a Yankees captain from 91 to 95 and had his number retired. He's now currently the manager of the Marlins. He's managed the Dodgers. He was a hitting coach for the Yankees. Uh, and what we've learned in this conversation is Don Mattingly was also a phenomenal all-around athlete. All right, Don, first question for you. The, uh, the football scouting world that I come from, we always throw out a, a phrase, talk about, this guy's a football player. And I, I think about you when your nickname is Donnie Baseball. Hey, where did it cut? Where did it first? You first hear it, and then what did that mean to you? Uh, you know, it started with Kirby Puckett. We would do a dinner up in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, Kenny Kaiser, uh, a deceased umpire, great guy. But we would go up there, a bunch of guys, and you know, you get up in the suite or whatever, and you're having fun afterwards. And Kirby always talking really fast. And he go baseball, 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 on baseball, you know. And it just somehow it, it stuck. It took it took off, uh, and it became Donnie baseball. And and I guess it could be worse, right? Yeah, like, it's pretty darn know, good. Yeah, I'll take that one. Do you, will you ever hear that when you guys are talking about players? Will you ever utter the phrase? This guy's just a baseball player. I don't know if you guys use that like we do in football. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think when you're looking at guys, you, you'll say this guy's a baseball player. And and I think when you refer to that, you're you're it, a lot of times that means. Uh, and I think in our minds, it's not like the best, most talented guy. This guy just knows how to play the game, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and he knows how to take advantage. He's got good instincts within the game. Uh, and that's kind of where that term, I think, fits with us. How is the era different from, from when you played to where it is now? What, what's missing that what you had that they don't have right now? Oh, what they do have now, I will, I will say it, I think a huge change, it's just information, yeah. right? Obviously, the analytics, uh, data, uh, things, it's just off the charts to how fast the information gets to you and how fast it changes, uh, how you're able to evaluate players differently, see them from more of a 360 view when you get that kind of data. Uh, and I think you're able to find some diamonds in the rough that people kind of maybe passed over because they didn't do this or do that. I think the analytics are allowing us to specifically say this guy really is good against this type of pitching mm-hmm. this type we can fit him in if we fit him with another guy now we've got a really whole player so you know if you're in a smaller market you're able to put some players together that you maybe can't afford that guy that's you know out of your payroll how do you put together that holistic view though with with the numbers the analytical side but then kind of you know, putting the makeup and, and adding that into the mix I think you look at it all, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, like what we're trying to do in Miami, I think what Derek has done with our ownership has really tied us in from bottom to top with mm-hmm. one vision of where we're going, how we're going to get there, and how we want to all work together. We want to make sure our minor leagues are connected to our major leagues, make sure our development is connected to the major league staff, make sure our 
our whole thinking about what type of player we want, what is our goals, what do we want to be as an organization? And I think that's how it all starts. How far out into the future do you guys have to plan? And when you look at the vision for the big league club, like how far out does that go? Uh, it gets out there a little bit. You know, when you got guys in A-ball that you're projecting that may be three, four years away, mm-hmm. you know you got guys on your roster that you may not be able to afford. When do we move this guy and when we have to have a guy ready? We got a guy at this this position. We're really stacked throughout our system with pitching. We can trade with our some of our lower level pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got this guy coming. So you got to know positionally where you're at as an organization uh, and where are our strengths. So we got to know ourselves, I think, better mm-hmm. than anyone else. We have to know our personnel and what we got coming and what we believe in that they're going to be. And again, in our market where we have to be able to play with a long-term view of mm-hmm. continuing to build talent, continuing to develop talent. We can't probably afford, you know, and I, it, this is big news right yeah. now, like a Steven Strasburg for us yeah. is not in our league. That mm-hmm. that number that they that he's thrown out, <laughs> that's probably three years worth of total payroll for us right wow. now. So that puts us in a different category mm-hmm. that we have to be better at a lot of little things than at somebody else. You talked about knowing your own roster in football. We're talking about self-scouting. you got to know your own roster, know what you need, and then you can go shopping for it, whether it's the draft and, and acquiring players. There's a lot of similarity there. In the information, all the analytics that you get, how does that, that flow of information go to the player? And as somebody who's played, how do, you, how do you custom that and tailor that to each individual guy where maybe one guy wants as much as you can give him, other people might be overloaded? Well, I think we've got to know, again, back to knowing your personnel. Some guys take information and want more of it mm-hmm. uh, and process it. Other guys don't process it, process it as well. We've got to know who those guys are. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to bring information. It always kind of, for us, goes back to what are your strengths? Mm-hmm. How do we use your strengths? to the best of our ability. And then we take that other information and try to build in a game plan for that guy. Uh, as if it's a pitcher or if it's a hitter, how are we using your strengths in the best way to help you maximize performance? I love that. In, in baseball, sport of failure. In football, I know when I go back and look at quarterbacks that I've missed, one of the one of the things I've missed on is they hadn't really been through much adversity in college. First time they get some adversity at the NFL level, they don't know how to handle it. And in a sport like baseball, as a manager, as somebody who's dealing with these guys on a day-to-day basis, how do you help guys get through maybe that slump or that little rut that they're going through? Well, to have gone through it helps, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I think in baseball, if, you, if you've gotten to the big league level, you've gotten knocked around somewhere, you know, on that road. And when you go back to really the start of it, a lot of that's done in the minor leagues mm-hmm. because there's a lot of guys coming from a small town like me. I'm coming from Evansville, Indiana. I'm not seeing the same competition as a guy in California where they're playing tons of baseball in Texas and Florida. These guys are seeing better competition early. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you take that guy from that, you know, the, the, the big fish in the small pond, you throw him out there and it's like he's overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But I think so. I think you got to know who that guy is. Um, and then just how we how do we get there multi-sports um, we've seen it with players coming through on the football side where man now we're starting to see seven on seven these guys aren't playing as many sports as they used to somebody yourself that grew up playing multiple sports i know your son played multiple sports what value is there in that today and does it worry you that we're seeing more of these kids specialize at a young age 
it does worry me. Uh, I think the value of it is that you're kind of competing year-round. Sometimes the specialty guys are doing a lot of workout stuff, yeah. a lot of tryout camp type stuff. See how fast do you run, how far do you hit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're competing in different sports, and, and I look at it from a health standpoint for kids, uh, to me, I was a basketball player. I played football. I played baseball. Shoot, I was playing out in the backyard. I'm playing tennis. I'm doing anything I could do with a ball. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm to me, I'm training my muscles in a lot of different ways. My muscles are giving my arm a break uh, during a football season. Basketball's giving me side to side quickness, forward back. Uh, being able to use my feet, which relates to for me defense in baseball, maybe defense for a defensive back or yeah. guys that move their move their feet in football. So I think all the sports give you something, mm-hmm. and then there comes a point where you got to start, you got to narrow it down. And I mm-hmm. think the sport tells you you're, it tells you where you should be going. Like for me, I love basketball. I'm from Indiana. I, I love basketball. It's probably my favorite sport. You can go mm-hmm. practice on your own. You can do it on your own. Baseball's hard to get it together. But you know what happened? When I got to be a freshman in high school, I was better than everybody else in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just starts saying, you should be playing baseball. And then that changed my I got that first letter from a, from a scout. I remember a big Cincinnati logo on that letter. <laughs> and for me, that ended it, right? From then, I, I, my focus was going to go to baseball. I still played the other sports, but mm-hmm. I really knew at that point, hey, you're getting attention in baseball. You're not getting anything else. Mm-hmm. All right, last question for you. I'm just curious. We, we always talk about competitive kids, trying to find competitive players. When you're, when you're watching a baseball game, is there something that, that's a trigger for you or that, that kind of shows you, okay, this, this kid's got it. He's got that competitive gene that we want. You see that fight, yeah. right? And, and I think the biggest thing you see with your own guys, again, back to knowing your own guys, guys that make adjustments mm-hmm. compete. If you just keep getting beat the same way and you keep guys are getting you out the same way and you're still giving up hits the same way, it tells me you're not competing. You're not making adjustments. You're not figuring a way. And that's what competing is, figuring a way that I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. I can win this in, this battle or this encounter. And if I'm not making adjustments, I'm probably not a great competitor from the standpoint. I'm just kind of, I got talent. I go do what they tell me to do, but I'm not like playing the game and making adjustments. All right, fantastic. I said that was the last question. Final one, because we share something in common. We're both IU basketball fans. Oh, yeah. So uh, the planet is, is at risk. We need a shot to be made. Are we going with Isaiah Thomas or Calbert Chaney? What are we doing here, Coach? Uh... Can I say Steve Alford? Can oh, I throw Alford! How do I forget Alford? <laughs> yeah. Did you Did you ever watch the Alford, the Steve Alford All American Workout video? That's what I, I wanted. I did know. not watch that because I did. I had that thing on VHS tape. And you know what? Here's one I think about Indiana basketball, and I don't even know the year. Keith Smart hits a jumper. Yes, 1987. 87 with like so much time on the clock. And the first thing Bobby Knight does is look at the clock. Yeah. And it's like he's onward. He's hit the shot, and now he's moving on to what we got to do the rest of this. There was a short period of time, but the first thing he did was look at that clock. That is amazing. It I was had fun. That shot, there's a picture I had growing up with that, a picture of that shot, Keith Smart shot, with a button you would push, and it would play the audio of the announcer calling the game. Keith shot a baseline jumper, good, four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. I haven't heard it in 20 years, yeah. but I still can remember that. As there a you go. There Last you go. question for you. Yeah. Did you have those red and white sweats? Oh, I, oh, the candy canes? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I always wanted them. Me I never neither. I did too. That's, that's really it's not right. Yeah. I know what to get you for Santa Christmas. Santa missed me. 
Bucky, I got to be honest, that was pretty cool, man. Getting a chance to, to be around Don Mattingly. He is as cool as you would imagine he would be. Hey, man, always loved him coming up. Just loved the way he handled his business. And you talk about that nickname. That nickname is awesome. But I think the thing that stood out to me from that conversation, how he's always looking for the competitive gene. Uh, at the end of the day, we can talk about talent and all those other things, but competitiveness is the thing that separates the good from the greats. Um, I am always on the hunt for that when we're doing evaluations as it relates to like guys getting ready for the pros. It's interesting to hear a manager and an accomplished baseball player like Don Manley talk about that as well. Now, well, from one player who turned manager to another player turned manager, we had a chance to visit with Dave Roberts. He's the, uh, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. They've had tremendous success since he's taken over that role. Haven't been able to win the ultimate trophy with the World Series, Bucky, but a couple appearances and, and really been the most consistent team since he took over. I remember him as a player, you know, playing for the Padres for, for a couple years, played with the Giants. Obviously, probably the most famous stolen base in postseason history to help the Red Sox overcome a 3-0 deficit and go on and, and, and sweep the rest of their games on their way to a World Series. So uh, a fantastic career for Dave Roberts has really emerged as one of the best managers in baseball and somebody that also has a football background. My first question is, as, as scouts here, we'd love to know the, the scouting report going back to RBV, to Branch, Rancho oh. Buena Vista, Dave Roberts, the quarterback. <laughs> we, want, we want the scouting report on Dave Roberts, the quarterback. We need a comparison. We need to know about the skill set. What do we got? Uh... Very light arm. Uh, it's uh, de it's definitely Tua. Tua very light. Um, could really <laughs> run. Could see the field. Play action really good. Could sell fakes. Uh, mechanics mechanics good. Plus plus runner. Um, team leader. Um, but certainly Tua very light. We've been talking a lot about. Um, being able to come back. We've used that kind of as a theme, and we're talking more about that. As a country, we see it now. We're trying to come back. Hopefully, sports are going to be coming back. But you're such a great example of this. And We go back to that Red Sox series. Down 3-0, you steal the base. Everybody knows the story. You guys come back and win that series. What, what's the mindset that, that, that needs to be there in order to make a comeback? The, the, it's living in, in the moment, and um, it's living in the present. And, you know, looking back, is noise. Um, Kurt Schilling takes the mound. Pedro takes the mound. You know, Tom Brady, you know, comes out of the huddle. You're, you're trying to execute one play. I w went from a starter from LA as a first place team to a bench guy and you had to wait for your opportunity. And I prepared, I, I watched video, I, I worked on things and I was a good teammate when I needed to be. But when my opportunity came, um, I was ready. Uh, I, when it presented, I was ready for it. One of the things that I've heard about you is because you guys have been really heavily analytic driven, that you've had to really manage the relationship with the players to get them to have a complete buy-in. Talk about the importance of trust and communication when you are trying to make decisions that are in the best interest of the team, but you're dealing with players who are used to playing every day. I have to always remember what it's like to be a player. For me, as you guys might have heard, I try to touch every player every single day. And, you know, you see, I was on a uh, podcast with Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, Pete, Car Pete Carroll's a guy that's going up and down the sidelines, patting guys on the butt and, you know, just a little something. I think that that goes a long way when you're a leader of men um, or women. Um, and, and so just a little bit that that head coach or that manager can let them know, hey, I'm thinking about you. I still believe in you. I still need you. And that little bit keeps guys going. But I think for me, it's the consistency of having those conversations. Uh, we look at this Dodger team as it's constructed right now. The most important question, 
Who, who would be the best football player uh, on the Dodgers? Who do you got? <laughs> All right. I love that. <laughs> That's a great question. I'm going to see when my boys uh, tune into this, I'm going to get some ripping. The easy answer is Mookie in the slot. Um, I, I, I just trust that he can get separation. Um, I, I kind of liken him to like a Wes Welker type. Um, so I, I think that I'm probably missing somebody right now, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Mookie Betts. You talk about being able to come back. Uh, you led the Dodgers to back-to-back World Series. You guys fell up on the short end of the stick and both of those. How do you bounce back from those moments? Because we have NFL teams like the San Francisco 49ers who went to the Super Bowl and were winning with seven minutes left and then it falls apart. What is the mindset and the mentality to come from come back from a big disappointment to still get back and maybe be able to change the result the following year? It's not easy. People don't understand, you know, to go all the way up the mountain and to give everything you have for eight months and, you know, to then lose to then have to have that grit or that, you know, intestinal fortitude or whatever you want to call it to get back up there individually, collectively, to go back up that mountain that is not guaranteed to get to the top is not easy. Um, but I think that I'm fortunately uh, blessed with a lot of great coaches, um, front office and, and players, most important, that uh, we're, we're synced up and we got a tough group of guys and understand that, you know, we, we, we failed in the sense of we didn't we don't have that ring. But I still think that, you know, over the last four years, we've won more baseball games than any team in the big leagues. And I think that there's something to be said for that. But, yeah, we're all kind of divine, defined by championships and rings. And especially when you're in Los Angeles and you got to deal with Magic Johnson, who's who's the king of all the rings. So, man, uh, the bar the bar is certainly high, but but I love that. And we're, we're going to get there. RBV, Buck, uh, Rancho Buena Vista, and uh, Dave Roberts running around slaying that thing. I've actually seen a little video of him, man. You, you, obviously, you know he can run. Uh, we see that on the diamond. But, uh, yeah, very athletic quarterback. Could have been. He could have been the uh, – what was the name of the quarterback at Air Force? Like D. Dowdle? Uh, oh, D. Dowdle. Uh, yeah, D. Yes. Dowdle. Yes. Yes. He could have been that guy. Uh, but, anyways, it's worked out pretty well for him. It has worked out pretty well. I loved his mentality or uh, the way he described the mindset that you have to have to come back. I think that's really, really important. I think we talked about baseball being a sport of failure, but also when you're building a team, how can you bounce back from those tough moments? I think you need to see it not only in the coaches that you have, but also the players that you acquire. All right. When I worked for the Cleveland Browns, we had a coach on our staff named Frank Verducci. And Frank Verducci, good reputation in the football world, lifelong coach. He also has a pretty famous brother, and that's Tom Verducci, who is really the the premier writer when it comes to Major League Baseball. He's a reporter. He's phenomenal. He's He does his work with the MLB Network. You see him on Fox. Uh, he's outstanding. So we had a chance to uh, sit down and visit with him uh, about – this whole connection between these sports and somebody that knows it very well. All right, Tom, first question for me. I was with your brother, Frank, with the Cleveland Browns. Frank, lifetime in football. Why baseball? For me, it's always been my first love. Um, I grew up in a household surrounded by football. Mm -hmm. Dad was a big high school football coach. Obviously, both of my two my brothers became football coaches. I always loved the game, but baseball was my first love. Not sure why that was, but... um, 
My first job out of college actually was covering NFL, Miami Dolphins down mm -hmm. in Florida. Uh, but if I could have chosen a sport to cover, it would have been baseball, and I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I love watching you and the work that you do. And one of the things always stood out to me is just how good of an interviewer you are. I think from a scouting standpoint, on the football side of things, it would be valuable to know, get an education on, give me some examples of, of your thought process when you're going into an interview to get to know someone as we're trying to do with players. Yeah, well, for me, I like to look at the game, and again, I'm lucky that my dad was a coach, so it's kind of first nature for me to think like a coach rather than an outside person coming from the inside. I like to say I like to look at baseball, in my case, from the inside out. Yeah. So to connect with people who are in the game, try to speak their language, come informed. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean be very specific about a topic, um, a person, a story, something that you can connect with the person rather than throwing something out there generically that anybody off the street could come up with and ask a question like, how are you feeling? Were you yeah. worried about this? <laughs> you know, be very specific. And uh, for me, I, I will have to add that I like baseball so much. I love baseball so much that I, I really want to learn as much as I can about it. So to stay informed, I want to learn more. So when I ask someone a question, I want to be informed myself. I'm yeah. curious. And I always say it's baseball to me is like chess. The, the more levels you understand it, the more fascinating it becomes. And you learn how much you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to me. And I, the leadership structure with teams compared to the NFL style and the NFL side where it's really gotten down to one or two voices on the NFL side. And it seems like talking to folks around here, they almost talk about their, their leadership team more so than even just the general manager. Collaboration-wise, has it evolved or changed in baseball? Yeah, I think baseball has really changed in terms of the collaborative effort. And by that, I mean throughout the system now. Mm -hmm. It used to be there were separate silos within an organization, major league, minor league, player development, analytics. Now it's all working together as one. Um, so and I think it's a good thing for the game. The other thing I've noticed is that in terms of coaching and managing especially, connecting with the players mm -hmm. is more important than ever. It wasn't that long ago where the manager was kind of the dictator. You know, yeah. he told you when you were playing. He didn't have to tell you why you were sitting or why you were uh, pinch hitting. But now everything must be explained to the players. And every team is looking for managers now that can connect to players on a real personal level rather than speaking down to them. Connecting players and managers is one thing. Also connecting the front office with the coaching staff. It seems like to me now more than ever that that, that relationship, that connection has never been more important. It's totally true. The connection there is extremely important. And I think it's really changed in this regard is that now teams are trusting coaches to come in that maybe don't have experience even playing the game professionally, mm -hmm. certainly on the major league level. But their expertise in the areas of what they're teaching are so good, they're being introduced to the game. For instance, the New York Yankees just hired a pitching coach who's 33 years old mm -hmm. and only four or five years ago was teaching and coaching in high school baseball. That would never have happened 15, 20 years ago. But sort of like the gurus in golf who can teach the swing so well because mm -hmm. they understand it, they've studied how the body works kinetically, those people now are not just being introduced to the game, they're having a big influence in how the game is taught and played. And that is a very quick, widespread change in baseball. I'm ask you about Tom House because the NFL world, we've all become very acquainted with. It seems like everybody's working with him in the offseason. Are you familiar with when he started crossing over from just working with pitchers, now all of a sudden working with quarterbacks? Well, I can remember back in the 80s when he was a pitching coach with the Texas Rangers, you'd see guys out there throwing a football around. 
And baseball has always been very hidebound by tradition. So when you come in and introduce something different, like throwing a football around as baseball pitchers, people thought he was nuts. They, he was an outlier. He was an outcast. But now a lot of what he was teaching has been adopted in the game. It's widespread. Um, but that's what happens when systems are disrupted. The people who come along first with the ideas tend to be marginalized. Mm-hmm. But over time in baseball, I'm sure it's the case in football as well, systems change because the new systems are working. That's why they get adopted. It wasn't because their people are trying to quote unquote reinvent the game. Yeah. We learn more and as mm-hmm. we learn more, we want to introduce different things. So Tom House, I thought was ahead of his time in a lot of the, his ideas about pitching. Have you heard of any NFL teams? I know a couple of GMs that have spent time trying to study some of these uh, MLB teams and what they're doing, Uh, not even just analytics, some of the nutrition stuff, some of the other things that have been implemented. But it seems like now more than ever, you're seeing this cross-sport collaboration. They're trying to learn from one another. There's no doubt. I think a lot of sports are learning from each other, especially about nutrition and recovery. Mm -hmm. Recovery is kind of the new open space in baseball. You know, it was analytics up until about 10 years ago. Now that's pretty flat landscape. Where do you find edges now in the game? And I think a lot of it now is in recovery and how do you keep your players healthy? How do you keep them well uh, with nutrition? Um, the energy level throughout a baseball season super important. 162 games in 182 days is, is very tough on the body. Now, from what I know, that uh, English soccer is way ahead of yes. all other sports yeah. in that aspect of the game. It's a different kind of schedule, but I think there's things that I know baseball teams are studying some of the things that they're doing in that regard. So I think now, yeah, the walls between the sports are all down. What can we do about enhancing performance? I've talked to Howie Roseman with the Eagles. I know he went over there and spent some time over there in the Premier League studying those teams and talking to them, all the sports science. Chip Kelly kind of introduced a little bit of that to the NFL. Now it's exploded. Um, Last question for you. I'll I'll let you run. But we ask, we've got all these coaches on, and we always ask them the best high school player that they've ever seen. And we've got some unbelievable stories of high school football players that, you know, we heard LeBron James is a high school football player, Allen Iverson as a high school football player, but just in your in your long history of covering sports, it doesn't have to be baseball, just the most impressive young athlete that you've ever seen. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, because when you're really small, for me anyway, I looked up to high school athletes like they were my heroes, not the <laughs> NFL, not the NBA, uh, MLB. Um, and I remember there was a basketball player I grew up in New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, Kelly Trapuca. Oh, he didn't yeah. wind up playing yes. in, the, in the NBA. But my goodness, he looked like a man in high school, (laughs) and he had range shooting the baseball like I never saw before. He could jump out of the gym, and I thought, man, that guy should be in the NBA right now. Yeah. Um, But being at that time much younger than him and looking at what he could do athletically, it still stands out to me to this day. Bucky, the one thing that stood out to me there is just him talking about how advanced soccer is. And you look over overseas in Europe, where they are in terms of developing athletes and how we're all trying to play catch up over here. Yeah, we are trying to play catch up. You know, we're just so far behind. But um, I did like some of the things that he talked about, Tom House, obviously being a non-traditional guy that kind of helps pitchers kind of find their way. Uh, He just knows so much stuff, man. I'm so envious being a lifelong baseball fan. His insight, his ability to connect on the level, he really brought a lot of perspective uh, to the game. All right, our last our last guest here is our good buddy Chris Rose. We know him uh, from NFL Network. You watch him 
on MLB Network with his buddy Kevin Millar, one of the most enjoyable shows on television. He's outstanding. And also, uh, don't sleep on BattleBots. Uh, big BattleBot household over here. Uh, but Roser, Roser has a great perspective on what we're discussing in this episode. So uh, here's a conversation I had with Chris. We've had a we've had a great day here meeting with a bunch of different people in this sport and and I'm learning a lot about how you're building teams, constructing organizations. Which the the difference, the main difference with NFL and MLB in, t- in terms of the personnel side, it's really an organization. When you think about all the different levels right. that you have to get up and and having that same message kind of permeate throughout the entire organization, that's a challenge these guys have in building that entire operation. Right. Well, I mean, when you look at it, when we cover the NFL draft, yeah. we as fans as well, we sit there and we say, boy, how can that guy help us next year, you know, where we ended up winning seven games, but maybe <laughs> that guy pushes us to a level where we're at eight or nine, and, you know, you can't think that way in baseball. Yeah. You just can't do it. There's, there aren't guys who you draft. Now, we do tend to see what we've seen over the last five years is guys make such a rapid move to the major league level, you're yeah. seeing guys that are 20 and 21 yeah. not only contribute but be stars at this level. Yeah. So it's you know it's becoming a little bit more like the NFL draft in from that standpoint. Like if we draft a college pitcher, can he have one year of seasoning and he can help us the year after he gets drafted? Well, they don't want to give away the innings. I mean, if you only got well, so many right. innings in you, you might as well make them count. Totally, yeah. totally. So that's why we've kind of seen the pendulum swing a little bit more toward college pitchers being drafted very high one of one of the uh, executives we talked to today said kyler murray would have been a great baseball player he was mm-hmm. in on him he was you know a lot of time uh, during that time period i remember a bunch of people saying ah maybe the a's had reached for him as right. a baseball player more of a project than anything else i don't remember who was adamant about the fact he would have been a great player what was the consensus if we go back in time during that decision for kyler murray well i talked to two different personnel people in the baseball world when we were trying to wrap our hands around the murray decision you know, what was it, 11 months ago or mm. so. And they both said not only did the A's not make a mistake, but he could have gone number one in that draft. Wow. That's how good he was, you know, that they felt like, you know, he had a great swing, mm. that he was going to be a super plus defender yeah. in the outfield. He was going to chase everything down in a pretty spacious outfield and obviously had an amazing arm. Yeah. So, you know, all the rest of the stuff would. We could teach you the rest. Exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. To yep. Me. The difference, I, I'll leave you with this one because I'm just curious, spending so much time in both worlds, is there something that a successful manager has in baseball that you see as a successful head coach in football? Because it's such a different job. Totally different. But is there one thing that carries over to both? I don't know if it, you know. Communi- communication is one of the things that is a bunch that, about. that's the big thing that yeah. you're talking about i mean you're dealing with with grown men and in in the baseball world has changed significantly in the last five years with the way analytics are applied and a lot of that for better or worse ha- means that more and more players are becoming i'm not going to say bit players but at least platoon guys mm-hmm. when they're not raised to be that way and so they don't understand why is it beneficial that I'm not playing here? Yeah. And so it's really the manager's job to take that information. And I imagine that when it comes to the NFL as well, there's a lot of that mm-hmm. that, that has to cross over. I mean, I think it, I find it fascinating as we learn more and more about what's going on in the NFL analytically, and particularly when we listen to the Baltimore Ravens and John Harbaugh 
in his all press in, conferences all in. where they've got the 25-year-old kid from Yale yeah. who's, you know, helping them with probabilities. And that's a huge thing, right? Like, why we're sitting here going, wait, you're going for it on fourth and one at your own 44 with four and a half minutes to go? That's insane yeah. at a tie game. Why would you do that? Well, because the analytics say that we have a better shot of winning the game mm. here by going for it than if we punt. The other thing, the other thing that analytics tell me is you've got Marshall Yonda at right guard, you've got Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. The chances are pretty good. I didn't need to consult a math book or a right. calculator to figure that one out. I think those odds are in your favor. I, I'm with you on that. But five years ago, if you make that play, oh, you're an idiot. People yeah. are kicking and screaming. At least now, there's a thought process See, behind. I, I, I think the 25 year old kid from Yale's the fall guy. In case He's this ever guy. goes wrong, that's what he is. It's like John Harbaugh's a Josh Harbaugh. That's the 25 year old kid from Yale. That's not Harbaugh's uh-huh, call. Uh-huh. It's a that's, fall guy. It is. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. It's always important to make the Ivy Leaguers the fall guys. Yeah. There you go. The I thought the the money takeaway from that conversation was the importance of communication, uh, Bucky. It just if you're going to be an effective leader, manager, head coach, uh, that communication has got to be there. It has to be there. It's the most important thing. Trust and communication are really the the glue to keeping a, a team together. And you have to be able to communicate coach to coach, coach to player, player to player. So you have to not only be able to be a great communicator, you have to teach your guys how to communicate. It's such an important skill and trait that you have to have in the league. Oh, 100%. Well, this has been a fun episode. And by the way, if you're just catching this episode and didn't catch part one, would encourage you to go listen to that. That's part one of our conversation, our crossover podcast, looking at the sport of baseball and and tying that together with the, with the sport of football. It's been a fun journey here on these two episodes. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up here, Bucky? No, this is great, man. You know, uh, I'm all about, you and I talk all the time about team building and looking outside of football to just kind of learn how to build the ultimate team. I think this two-part series has been phenomenal in terms of adding some different insight and perspective. All right, no doubt. This has been fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. That's going to do it for us today. I do want a, a huge shout out here to our buddy Arjuna, who has put in tireless work to pull this all together. Uh, Arjuna is as good as it gets. Uh, We're very fortunate to have him with us on our team and just thankful for for all the work he's put in because this is a a big chore here, a big task, uh, and do appreciate all of his efforts. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening to Move the Sticks. Uh, We'll catch you next time right here. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.